Hello, everybody. Welcome to our ROH Death Before Dishonor post-show. I am John Pollock, joined by Mike Murray, here to chat about Friday night's pay-per-view from Las Vegas. Mike, how are you tonight? Pretty good, John. How about you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. We're coming off of uh, what I think was an interesting ROH pay-per-view, and it was kind of like a a show that I was going into thinking like they should really have a big show here because I think that you could probably attest to this. I think that interest across the board is very down for ROH. Has that been uh, your viewing habits over the last couple of months for ROH or where, where is your interest level? Uh, I think you're absolutely right that they really needed a knock something out of the park and really get a lot of interest and, I don't know about you. John and I haven't – we didn't watch the pay-per-view together, which is the first time uh, we've kind of watched separately and done this. Uh, so I'm waiting to hear what you think about things before we <laughs> jump, jump right into it because usually we've compared notes all the way through the night usually. But tonight it's 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 cold. You oh, know? We, we got some drama now. We're, we do. Maybe, maybe we, do. we watch two completely different shows. Uh, I don't think so. I think we've, <laughs> we're usually on the same page. <laughs> Well, this was a show that, I mean, I am not watching ROH television weekly. I think that this, you know, it's just when you're looking at all the different programs, I mean, there's only so much you can keep up with. And I think ROH, like, they've really just fallen behind with everybody. And I think that's that's kind of the, the larger trend that they're dealing with. I, I think that we will look back at the end of this year at what a fascinating 2019 it was for Ring of Honor when you look at the the high of Madison Square Garden and the decline that followed with it. Totally, but I don't think you're wrong in having to uh, not watch the weekly show. I mean, these pay-per-views, it's it's such a strange progression of stories and how they're doing this. I mean, even tonight, so much of it is leading up to tomorrow, right. what's going to be on Honor, Car- Honor Club and what's going to be coming up at uh, – and Baltimore in like two months from now, I'm like, people paid money for this show. Like, let's focus on this show that, you, that you're presenting here. So since they've – like you subscribe to Honor Club with the addition of the TV tapings that you can now watch live. Is that a bit of a draw for you or not so much to be no. – no, because usually with the TV tapings, I think, as we've noticed before, is that they have almost nothing to do with the pay-per-views. A lot of it's just, like, you know, some – I don't know, like matches that some are good, some are, you know, they're TV matches, right? And, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, uh, a Ring of Honor title match, I mean, that was not to be missed. It didn't matter who was the belt, who had the belt, and who was the challenger, right? I mean, it was going to be like a, you know, a, an excellent main event usually. Well, that's it. I mean, you're you're talking about a promotion that its calling card was its wrestling, and now – I mean, that to me, it's it's the bare minimum now. And it's just having a night of good wrestling matches across the board. I mean, years ago, that's probably a thumbs up show for a lot of people. But it's just the bar is so high now. You're getting fantastic wrestling matches every single weekend. So you've got to be able to differentiate yourself or you're just going to kind of just blur into the background. And I think that's that. not just ROH. I think there's a lot of companies that are going to have to face that. Of Just good is not going to be good enough. And I think tonight was just good. And I think you're right. If, if this was 10 years ago, you'd be like, man, what a great show. What a lot of fun it was, you know, da, 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 da. but you know, now when, man, there's like a show, <laughs> there's almost seems to be like a pay-per-view quality show of some sort from one of the major companies, like every weekend. Right. So, yeah, uh, we, I mean, tomorrow night we've got uh new Japan from the Hammerstein ballroom. Are you going to be watching that one? 
Yeah, well, there was New Japan Tonight, right? From from Lowell. Well, yeah, that one. Although that one wasn't being broadcast anywhere. Saturdays, at least, you can watch okay. on New Japan right. World. If you're okay. uh, if you're fluent in Japanese, which I really don't mind the Japanese commentary, but that will be uh, Saturday night, which just to see Hiroshi Tanahashi and the Rock and Roll Express. I mean, just carve out that time <laughs> on Saturday night to see that match in 2019. Uh are they going to do – are they doing that on Axis as well or is it uh, just, just – for- Just New Japan World. Okay. Got it. Well, let's dive into this show from Sam's Town Live in Las Vegas, Nevada. Actually, I wanted to try this fun game to start, uh, Mike. I'm going to read you the results from Death Before Dishonor 2018. Do you want to hear where ROH was a year ago? Uh, I think we did the show together that night, didn't we? We definitely did. So this is this is one year ago. Okay. Our two dark matches – Shane Taylor over Cheeseburger and Jonathan Gresham over the Beer City Bruiser. Three of these four having very prominent roles on tonight's show. Yes. The pay-per-view opens up with Kenny King over Jushin Thunder Liger. Yep. The Briscoes over The Addiction, Christopher Daniels and Frankie Kazarian to retain the ROH tag titles. Uh, what uh, – does not change year over year. The Briscoes with the tag titles. Sumi Sakai over Tennille Dashwood to retain the Women of Honor Championship. Punishment Martinez, now Damian Priest in NXT, uh, d- defends the <laughs> television title, uh, defeating Chris Sabin. Bully Ray and Silas Young over Flip Gordon and Colt Cabana in a tables match. Yep. Then in a 10-man tag, Cody Rhodes, Marty Skrull, Hangman Page, and the Young Bucks over Kazuchika Okada, Chucky T, Beretta, Rocky Romero, and Tomohiro Ishii in a 10-man tag. And then in the main event, Jay Lethal retains the ROH title over Will Ospreay. Was this in the same building? It was. It was in Vegas, but it was, yeah. at, the, it was at the Orleans Arena. It was the bigger right. venue that they ran. It was bigger, right. And it was, it was empty, if I remember correctly, the, or the, pretty close to it. And the attendance listed here, this is Wikipedia, is listing 2,000. I don't know if that was the legit attendance or not, but uh, I can guarantee you there were not 2,000 people at Sam's Town Live tonight. No. <laughs> when I tuned in, did you get to see the pre-show match? I did. I did. Yep. So when this pre-show started, I mean, it sounded like they were in a studio wrestling environment. It sounded like 100 people. I know there were more than 100 there, but... There was 105. It was... It did not sound like it, it was just stunning to watch this match in front of this crowd. Now, this crowd, to their credit, they did liven up once the pay-per-view began. But I thought we were in store for one of those ROH shows where I was going to talk about how dead the crowd was. And then I'd hear from people there that were saying, no, we were going crazy for everything. Uh, but this first match, Brody King, Jeff Cobb. What did you think about throwing this one on the pre-show? Uh, it was an interesting choice. Um in that I guess you're hoping that you're going to entice people to want to buy the pay-per-view. I mean, what's the, what's the purpose of putting this on the pre-show? I, I would think this is a draw. No, like, would you not I, like, this would be a match that I would want to see on a pay-per-view. I just can't imagine the, the, the person that is sitting down on a Friday night at eight 30 <laughs> to watch a pre-show match and midway through the match saying, you know what? I'm going to spend the rest of my night watching this ROH pay-per-view. I think you have made that decision that day, how you're yes. spending your Friday night. And you're either watching this show or you're not watching this show. So, I mean, 
For me, ultimately, I didn't care where they placed this match, but I will say, I think they would have gotten a better reaction later in the show because I thought they had a hell of a match here to start it. Like, not, uh, you know, not like a four plus star classic or anything like that, but these guys were really hard in this match and it was kind of depressing at times because it just felt like, uh, the audience is just arriving. It's like they're just getting here and you're throwing them like a, a quality singles match that I think you could have taken many other matches that filled out this pay-per-view. Like this is a like a warm-up match. It's like the pre-show by design. I just feel like this audience, uh, they weren't ready for the show to start at this point uh, with something of substance, which this seemed to be. I would say, you know, you wouldn't be far off saying this was like a four star match. I think if you want to go the Meltzer scale, three and a half, three, seven, five, but it was like, it was stiff. Those guys really worked. I mean, two big guys like that going for, uh, you know, a a pretty good chunk of time. I thought this was one of the better matches of the night for sure. I did too. Yeah. I think it was only the crowd was a big negative on it. Um, some of the highlights included, you know, it was a big battle for either to take the other off their feet. Um, Cobb finally did go down and, uh, this was after Brody King scaled to the top for this reverse lateral press and Cobb just fired back, took him down with a clothesline. Uh, King just yells at Cobb, calling him a motherfucker. So yeah. <laughs> Cobb, Cobb then, and believe me, every single person in the arena heard it because no one else was talking in this arena. So my, my kids heard it when oh, we were watching it. Oh, so. Earmuffs. Uh, Cobb then caught King with a drop kick as he was seated on the turnbuckle. Uh, as I said, like working really hard here. King then hits a pile driver and yeah. Todd Sinclair goes to count and the crowd thinks this is it and it's, and Sinclair had called three. But instead, it was a kick out, and they seemed a little confused. And then Cobb and King just traded these released Germans, got the crowd back with it, and then Cobb caught him with Tour of the Islands to win 12 minutes, 59 seconds. And wow, yeah, I th- I think it, had this been maybe later in the show or just a different uh, environment, like I thought, you know, if you put this in a a PWG, if you put this in the Hammerstein Ballroom tomorrow night, I think this would have like tore the house down. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, there was an amazing line that uh, Capri said that this is where the big boys play yes. before the match started. I was like, <laughs> I don't know if we want to be using that line in 2019, maybe but, you t- know. Maybe TNT is going to be dusting that one off for Wednesday night. All their intellectual uh, property that they can uh, bring back now. Yeah. Um, this was a strange one. They had um, they had a backstage interview where it was Brian Zane from the Wrestling with Regret uh, YouTube series, which is a really fun uh, video series. He's interviewing the bouncers, and they talk about being overlooked as nice guys, and they're going to send Silas Young and uh, now Vincent Marsalia to the hospital later tonight. And that would be our barroom brawl that uh, we will have lots to talk about later on. Yep. In-ring segment, uh, Quinn McKay who has been a host for Ring of Honor for quite a while, she brought out Dalton Castle for an interview, and Dalton brought out a stool with something hidden on top of it. And Castle's just playing to the crowd, and he's asking who wants to be entertained, and apparently Joe Hendry did, because he came out, and he asked Dalton to reveal what was on the stool, and it was a mimosa. And Joe Henry reveals he has his own surprise and he starts doing karaoke with this custom made song he has made about Dalton Castle <laughs> that culminates in him showcasing this replay of Dalton doing some like ass over tea kettle in his match. And that's how Dalton injured his back trying to reach his peacock. And yep. Dalton threw the mimosa into Henry's face and Henry attacked the boys and 
I thought the segment was fine, but to me, Mike, the real star of this was Quinn McKay. I think she is fantastic, like way more than your typical uh, interviewer. Like she had a ton of personality. She reacted yep. to these two. I would imagine this woman is going to get signed the second um, one of the major promotions sees her. Yeah, no, she did a really good job, I thought. Um, the the video that Hendry came out to, I hadn't seen it before. I don't know if he used it, but man, it was it was pretty hilarious. Pretty, pretty funny. Um, although, I don't know, belittling, you know, bringing out the boys where Dalton found them on Craigslist. I feel like, you know, you're kind of poking fun at maybe the production value that this company is running at right now. <laughs> Which comes up again, I think, with some of the uh, the entourages, which I think were some people were used two or three times tonight. Well, you you know these guys are all you know they gotta you know you, you get booked for the day and you just offer your services. You're like, hey, uh, I can be a boy, I can also be muscle for Shane Taylor. Uh, yeah, just just use us. We are multi talented. We're here. Yep. Uh, so that ended the pre show. Uh, so I don't know if that was the hard sell at the end, the mimosa in the face or not, but that was uh, our setup. And then uh, no Dalton Castle or Joe Henry booked on the pay-per-view. So uh, that feud will probably be continuing on television. Marty Skrull, Colt Cabana opened up the pay-per-view, and they're doing a number one contenders tournament where the winner of the tournament will get the ROH title shot for final battle. So they were doing two opening round matches tonight, and then they'll do another two matches at the TV taping Saturday, which is at the same place at Samstown. So Skrull came out to pretty loud reaction at the beginning. So the Vegas crowd was alive, this also being 6 o'clock local time. Uh Cabana started lots of comedy at the beginning, uh, and then it turned into a more serious match when Skrull nailed him with a super kick off the apron, then got yanked to the floor, and Cabana attacked his back. Skrull fired up with a snapdragon, powerbomb for a two-count, and then he stomped the fingers of Cabana. Cabana came off the ropes, and it looked like Skrull went to kick the arm, but what I thought he was aiming for was to kick the hands after the stomp. Uh, Skrull then followed that with a pile driver, and it was Cabana avoiding the chicken wing multiple times. He was trying for the Billy Goat's curse. Eventually, he applies it, but Skrull gets to the rope. Cabana busts out the Chicago skyline and then uses the Superman pin. Skrull kicks out from that and then hits Black Plague for the win in 14 minutes. Uh, your thoughts on this match, Mike? And Marty Skrull, who I think most would have assumed was advancing here, beating Colt Cabana. Yeah, I think they told... Some some neat stories in this one. They talked uh, about some of the size difference. I think Colt was poking fun at uh, Marty and calling him heavyweight. Come on, heavyweight. Uh, a lot of the beginning of the match was Marty kind of getting frustrated by Cole and kind of his uh, tricks that he likes to pull in a match. Uh, there was a lot of talk about how Colt has been in the business for 20 years and sort of like the wear and tear that his body has kind of gone through in that time and how a superplex – feels you know after 20 years in the ring as opposed to the first year in the ring that was stuff from the uh the announcers which i thought they did a pretty good job tonight um it was fun it was a fun match uh you're right marty was probably the guy you would think that would go ahead but i mean i thought marty was going to win the title back in march right so yeah with, i don't know with all the thinking that well marty Skrull, they're concerned about is his contract being due so we'll put on matt taven and his contract legitimately is due before squirrels is up so uh, yeah it's Anyway, we can get into more of that later uh, because they're going to have a round of free agents uh, coming due in the uh, 
coming months. Um, I, I thought this was a fun match, especially like the closing stretch. I thought they got into, uh, a really nice rhythm with the two of each other. I thought the, the chemistry was, was there. A pretty good match here to open up the pay per view. And we mentioned, or failed to mention off the top that, uh, with Cabana working on this, the commentary, it was Ian Riccoboni and Caprice Coleman. And yes. Yeah, you know, your, your standard, like, I think Ian Riccoboni is a very underrated play-by-play announcer, and Caprice Coleman has really grown on me. I think he's really uh, grown into this role as the color commentator, and you don't need a, a three-man booth with, with Coleman. I think he's become a really good uh, analyst for these two-man booths. Yeah, and he has a lot to it, I think, both with his experience and, you know, forwarding storylines with some of the characters. Uh, and he, I mean, Ian has really, I think Ian's really come into his own, too, in the last two years, you know, was, uh, taken over from, uh, Kevin Kelly was, you know, I think a bit of a shock to some people after watching Kevin Kelly for on ring of honor for several years. So, and he, and he's really young. He mentioned on this show, he was, yeah, he I was, was shocked born in 87. I mean, he's like three years younger than me. Um, which I mean, it's, you look at, uh, WWE now promoting Vic Joseph and now Ian Riccoboni. Like, it's nice to see some, like so, some young guys that are coming up and are, you know, getting into those bigger number one voice roles with these companies yeah. as well. And not just, uh, the, the same people you want to see a variety and see guys on, on their way up. And I think Ian Riccoboni is tremendous. Next up was Kenny King PCO. No disqualification match in the opening round of the number one contenders tournament. Why was it no disqualification? Well, we had a lot planned for this match, Mike. Uh, well, no, because Kenny King asked to be no disqualification. Well, right? he requested it, yes, and we got quite the finish that uh, lent itself to no disqualifications. First, this is the thing. It's harkening back to the WCW uh, line, is this, this match. PCO came out to his new theme song, which was composed by uh, former WWE composer Jim Johnston, uh, labeled Shocker. Uh, yeah, they were they were really excited about this. They pushed this really hard. I've got to say this this theme. I don't know. It it was like music. It, it did nothing for me. I I didn't like. I heard it. I was like, I don't know. There's there's nothing really. Um, I will never remember this song. No. So there's no uh, no hook that I can think of right now. Maybe we'll get used to it later on. But yeah. Uh, no Destro in this. No electric chair entrance. I mean, this was a. This was as pedestrian an entrance as PCO has had. He was really, show. yeah, but he was really kind of pushing that um, kind of classic Universal Monsters Frankenstein look with the with the jacket and kind of the shorter sleeves and the the padded shoulders on it. Uh, really pushing the Frankenstein monster look. Uh, PCO immediately hits the somersault off the top while this table was set up on the floor. Um, then he places King onto the edge of the apron. He goes for this, oh. he goes for the somersault dive and he <laughs> lands on King and he hits him at such an angle that he bounces forward and it looks like he smashes his face into this table from like rebounding off of King. Yeah. Or at least his chest and armpit or something. Yeah. The yeah. replay, it, like his hand does like kind of protect the, the impact, but immediately it looks like this guy like just broke his face from just bouncing off of Kenny King. Uh, that was the least of my concerns as we continued this. Then PCO <laughs> goes for a suicide dive. King gets out of the way and PCO just like dead weights to the floor and his face just bounces off the floor. 
Yeah. And they're playing up that he's done, that the match is going to be stopped. They're going to help PCO, but Kenny King just continues his attack, places a ladder around PCO's neck and drives it into the post. King then hits a tornillo over the top onto PCO on the ladder. He's taking the padding off of the floor. And then in the most frightening maneuver of this match, Kenny King goes for a sunset bomb. He leaps over the top to sunset flip PCO off the apron to the floor. But in coming down, PCO like crushes King's head going down. I don't know how Kenny King survived this. This looked horrendous. I mean, at least it was on the mat and they missed the part where the mats were taken up. That's oh. the only kind of redeeming thing. But I, I mean, as soon as I watched it, I'm like, what the hell did I just see? And rewind it a little bit. I'm like, oh my God. There were like three moments in this where you had to rewind to make sure the guy wasn't dead. Yes. Uh, so, um, <laughs> Amy Rose, who is the valet with Kenny King, then, um, is on the floor and Kenny King pours water all over PCO and you wonder what what is he doing? Like he's pouring water on him. Amy Rose passes a cattle prod. I guess a nod to PCO's uh, former Quebecers teammate, and proceeds to electrocute PCO, and therefore Kenny King pins PCO, who then roars back to life after taking the pinfall uh, and staves off an electrocution on live pay per view. Um, and this is our creative way to beat PCO uh, at the end. This was a uh, no, 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 no. PCO what? Did I get this? Did I get this wrong? <laughs> I'm pretty sure you got it wrong. So he he gets electrocuted, and in the process, he kind of loses it, grabs Kenny, choke slams him, and like holds on to him because it's almost like the electricity has locked his muscles, and he he chokes him out. God. Well, he's got him pinned. I totally screwed up uh, yep. the finish here. I both both of those guys, both uh, villain enterprise guys, are going on to the next round. Okay, well, uh, that's why that's why you're here, Mike, to to get things correct. <laughs> so PCO uh, defeats Kenny King, and okay, so we have PCO going on then with Marty Skrull, and then tomorrow night, uh, the other opening round matches have Dalton Castle versus Mark Haskins and Bandito versus Jay Lethal. Do you have any? Uh, Predictions on, on where they go with the other opening round matches and who who ultimately gets this title shot, presumably with our new ROH champion. Uh, I think Bandito goes through. I mean, do, how long do you see Roosh hanging around? Oh, that was a big spoiler. Wait, we didn't get to the end of this yet. But um, I see Roosh sticking around. Yeah, definitely. Yeah? Yeah. Definitely through final battle. Um, I guess you're thinking like beyond that. Um. No, I could I I could see Roosh, you know, ROH I think being kind of his like home base. Um uh, unless you know, he gets some larger offer to leave later. I I don't know yeah. what his uh what the length of his deal is, but um yeah, let let's presume it's beyond final battle. Uh what is the biggest match you can make here? I think Bandito, what about you? It'd be I mean, an interesting it, direction it, to go with uh with Bandito and Roosh. Um yeah, I'm trying to think. I mean, if you could re-sign Marty, um, there's an argument to do that. But, I mean, these semifinals are going to take place before his deal's up. So unless you have that commitment, and I don't know how high people are on Marty Skrull sticking around. Um, lethal is kind of the the one you – I think they've just gone to Lethal so many times that, yeah, Bandito or 
Yeah. Bandito would probably be your, your best, um, most intriguing match to do. I think, I think coming out of, uh, Bola this weekend, that would be the reason why I would say Bandito. He's just got so much, um, so much momentum right now. And it's someone fresh to the ROH crowd as well that, yeah, you could really make this a, a big tournament focus for him. All right. We continue on then and. Then we had the Women of Honor match with Kelly Klein defending the title against Angelina Love with uh, Mandy Leone in Angelina Love's corner. So Love gets sent to the floor early. Klein takes out both with a crossbody. Ian Riccoboni notes here, Ring of Honor has never been hotter. Uh, there was also a couple times when they panned to the crowd and they said, you know, take a good look at this great crowd. And I was like, hmm. <laughs> See, I, I understand the, the balance you have to have where, um, you know, you want to put over your product that you're calling. But you also you have to maintain that credibility and not go so far that the audience's reaction is to just automatically push back. Like, I think there's a certain level of um you know, just over the topness that comes with calling pro wrestling, but I think you do have to keep it keep it somewhat grounded. There was um at the beginning of the match when you get the tail of the tape, they had Angelina Love listed at six foot six. And they talked about how great her reach advantage was, and I was like, she is not so, six sorry, foot who, six. Who, Come on. Which one was six foot six? Angelina Love. Oh yeah, that's that's nuts. <laughs> no, it must have been just like a, a type of error, right? But they they then went on about how she has a great reach advantage because of it. I was like, very, very bizarre. <laughs> six foot six, Angelina Love. That's what. Maybe when she's standing on like the shoulders of Mandy Leone. Um, maybe, maybe like uh, that. That might be. Well, that's quite the exaggeration. Um, as was the term or the statement, "Ring of Honor has never been hotter." Never been hotter. Uh, Love applied a Koji clutch. Klein then rolled over to the rope, and then Klein hit a fallaway slam off the middle turnbuckle. Uh, they were going to near falls um, to a degree of reactions that they were getting. Klein hit the fire woman's carry, and then Love kicked out from that. Uh, Mandy Leone gets onto the apron, sprays Klein in the face, and Love hits the Botox injection that Klein kicks out from. Leone then tries again, but misses... Klein and sprays love, which is not the finish. Love still kicks out of this, which it's like she <laughs> overcomes the interference. So Klein then attacks her teammate. Klein starts attacking Mandy Leone and then turns around and gets hit with a second Botox injection. And uh, I was numb from the second Botox injection. And Angelina pins her at 905 to win the Women of Honor title. Um, they tried. This did not land for me. I think if they just did it after the first hairspray, it would have been fine, right? No, we had to do the sense. near fall. We had two near fall spots <sighs> out of the hairspray. It was like, like what a misread on like what the audience wants and what they don't want. And I don't know. This was just like Kelly Klein. It's like she she's she's fine. It's just I don't know the 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 women of honor division. It's just it's it's not. Um, a high point of these shows like it's just these matches they they don't typically get over uh this one heavily overbooked at the end and yeah. i think you're going in a direction that people are just kind of indifferent to or actively dislike uh yeah i mean it's you're right about it seems on the big shows that these these hell matches do not get over but 
it's it's like they're trying to generate interest and it doesn't seem to matter what they do it just it's it is a thin thin division unfortunately right there's not a lot of workers here yeah afterwards the lights go out uh when she's presented with the title and maria manic appears she applies the torture rack to angelina and then she took out security so it was a big spot for maria manic to just run wild on everybody including all the security guards and i guess that's our direction as they segue away from kelly klein and it looks to go right to maria manic I mean, she looked she looked great in this sequence, like destroying all these like you know bigger security guard dudes, right? Yeah, she she got over the most of the three women in this segment. Yeah, I mean, Caprice Coleman did have to quote Holland Oates songs because she has man eater tattooed on her on her stomach, but uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it was bad. <laughs> did you get that reference? I don't know if you would get it. No, no, uh, man eater is like uh, I th- I think Nelly Furtado when I hear man eater. Oh, no, it's uh it was an 80s uh Hall and Oates hit. Well, jam. Yeah. Uh they're not all going to land for me either. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Jay Lethal, Jonathan Gresham next. Um they've been having this feud for pretty much over a year, this like professional rivalry that the two have been having, uh including that Iron Man match they had on TV last year that I thought was the the best episode of ROH television last year. They've they these two have great chemistry and I thought it continued here. Um Great sequence of hip toss reversals at the beginning, ending with Gresham going over the top, and then Lethal landed a springboard drop kick from the corner, and Gresham then got out of the way of the suicide dive on one side of the ring, went to the front, and then got hit with another. And Gresham then started selling his left knee um, and started favoring it despite hitting a quebrada and then favoring it. Lethal struggled as he applied the figure four, working on the knee, and then Gresham reversed that. Uh Gresham then grabbed a chair and it was taken away by Todd Sinclair and he like got admonished by Jay Lethal. Like, is that the only way you can beat me? You got to use a chair. And it was like, uh, you know, you were, you were letting down dad and Gresham then slapped dad right in the face. And they got in this big striking exchange on the floor in the ring. Lethal goes for the lethal injection. It gets stopped with a kick to the body. Lethal goes back to the figure four and Gresham escapes. He goes for the octopus, applies it and then takes lethal lethal down to the mat while hyper extending the arm and lethal is forced to tap at 17 minutes 20 seconds i thought uh easily the best match so so far on the show what did you think uh i agree there was a a good story of i mean at the beginning of the match they talked about how gresham has a lymph node infection that sucks yeah does not sound good does not sound good at all and you're like why are you wrestling with something that sounds awful um the story of Gresham's knee and Jay Lethal's wrist uh, throughout the match and how it affected each guy's offense was was really well done. I thought um, I liked I really liked uh, Gresham's robe with the sleeve that looks like a tentacle when he came out. I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, the part where they did the figure four, they rolled out like under the rope and then like from the apron onto the floor while they were still in the figure four with four. I mean, that's, that's gotta be like pretty jarring to your, uh, your lymph node system. I think. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. My, my lymph, my lymph nodes, uh, don't have any, uh, any issues that I'm aware of. So I, I don't know what kind of, uh, issues this would cause in a professional wrestling match. But, uh, yeah, afterwards they did like the, they were both in the ring and lethal's like selling his arm and the two end up 
like having this face off and the crowd's chanting hug it out and they shook hands and they did hug and this was positioned as the biggest win of Gresham's career. So I, I thought this was really strong stuff between these two. Uh, put, finally bringing Gresham up to a, a level that I think he should have been at a long time ago and kind of putting him now right at the equal footing with, with Jay Lethal and getting the endorsement afterwards. So I really enjoyed this whole thing, the match and the post-match between them. Yeah, and I think this, the story they've been telling leading up to this where uh, Lethal's been frustrated with the way Gresham's been kind of taking shortcuts and then coming into this match because of it, uh, it seems like everybody's friends now at the end. Silas Young, Vinny Marcellia versus Beer City Bruiser and Brian Malonis, the bouncers, in a barroom brawl. Uh, these four were not friends after this one. Uh, no. We started off, Josh Woods comes out with Silas Young, and he joined Ian Riccoboni and Caprice Coleman on commentary. Josh Woods was terrible on commentary. <laughs> I 100% agree. I thought he took a, a way he, he a just, lot from this match. I don't even know if it was being nervous. It was just, he was just so unnatural. Like he just felt like he had, like it was just so jarring to hear him. Like he just was not comfortable on commentary and he was on it for most of the match. Yeah. And he would like criticize things that Silas was doing, even though that they're sort of a unit and the, the, the announcers would be like, uh, but you're okay with that. They're like, no, no, I don't like it. It's like, it was awful. It was just, it, it, it was awful. There was no flow. It, it interrupted the flow of Riccoboni and, and Co- Coleman. And it just, it did not work at all. No. Um, anyway, uh, this match was just pretty much a massacre among these four killing each other. It starts off with the bouncers jumping them on the ramp and we get right into things. Beer City Bruiser introduces a pool cue and goes to smash it on Young, misses and breaks it across the post. So Marcelia and Young then double team Brian Malonis using zip ties to tie him up in the corner so that they can go after the bruiser. And uh, Marcelia is bleeding right from the beginning. I don't know what cut him open, but this was like two or three minutes into this. Uh, Malonis got to do the big break free spot as he just tore the arms, uh, tore the zip ties off of the ropes and he attacked both men. Uh, the announcers kept pointing out the glass that was on the canvas and it was goddamn impossible to see this glass, much less for the crowd to know there was glass here. I think that's how he got busted open. They smashed a, a stunt beer bottle on his forehead and the glass was kind of like, it was like little brown pieces. It was of, like you could see the shards of it, but it was just almost yeah. non-existent. So it was very hard, I, w- I would say, to kind of pick up. Um, Marcelia jammed the broken pool, uh, pool cue into Malonis's head. So he starts bleeding. And then in the, the big spot of the match that I can see getting circulated everywhere – Beer City Bruiser, <laughs> his shirt is pulled up in the corner, and Vinny Marsalia takes out darts, and he throws one, and it goes into his lower back, and everyone is just gasping at this uh, spot. Then he yeah. proceeds to throw two more darts into his back, and they're just lodged in his back, and Riccoboni is losing it. He's yelling, you have to get the goddamn darts out of there. Those darts are like an inch deep into his back. They, oh, this was, uh, if you remember, uh, Kazarni, this used to be a spot he would do. <laughs> uh, I remember him doing it in TNA and because he did all like the, the freak show, like circus stuff, that was one of the stunts. He would take the darts into the back. So, yeah. uh, it's been passed along to Beer City Bruiser here. Um, yeah, I just see this 
uh, being a video that could easily just circulate in a uh, in gift form all over tomorrow. Young then attacked Brian Malonis with a chair, whipped it to his head. Then Malonis got set up on a table on the floor while Young set up chairs inside. Marcelia then put Malonis through the table with the red rum, which is a diving, a dive through the table on the floor. Josh Woods then carries Silas Young to the back, meaning he was off commentary. And then Bruiser superplexed Marcelia through the, through the chairs in the ring. Marcelia kicks out. Bruiser then calls him a bitch. Hits the Beer City DDT uh, and B movie bitch. Yes, a B movie bitch. And, B movie bitch. And hits the Beer City DDT to pin Marcelia at 14 minutes and 25 seconds. Uh, if you love crazy hardcore matches, um, this was pretty damn violent. Um, I, I think it worked largely for the crowd. It's not like they were losing their minds for this, but it uh, was. You, you didn't I, think so. I think if you take the darts out, there's not much to this. I would agree with you. The darts was like the loudest reaction. I think the rest, it was like a collection of like violent spots and it was, it was a spectacle for the crowd, but it all, it also did feel kind of gratuitous that it was just, we're all going to bleed and we're all going to just do so much stuff that you'll have to appreciate it by the end. And I mean, this isn't my cup of tea. Um, I can see some people getting into this, but it was just, it was just, a lot of violent shit for 14 and a half minutes. I think, uh, I don't know. I think it was even, I, not to undercut the guys what they did, but none of it seemed to really held any drama whatsoever. And this kind of mishmash team of uh, Silas and um, Vincent Marcellus, I was like, eh, why, why are these two together? Isn't Vinny part of the kingdom? Like, what happened? Where, where are we going with this? Well, uh, well, TK Orion's out right now, and it seems like Marcelia, like, this is just biding time, I guess, and keeping him busy with with Silas. And this felt like the blow off of this whole feud. I mean, since the uh, the bouncers and Silas all separated. Yeah. Hopefully. um, I mean, if you're going to do a blow off, this was your, this was your violent blow off. Uh, Pool cues, darts, and tables. I mean, the stuff that, like, if this was a Briscoe's match, you know, things would have been held together a lot better. I think the intensity would have been a lot higher. But these guys, uh, I don't know. It didn't work for me at all. So you're saying that the darts missed its mark. Yeah, it was uh, missed the bullseye, so to speak. Shane Taylor, Flip <laughs> Gordon, and Tracy Williams was next for the ROH television title, but... We get the introduction. First of all, Silas, uh, Silas, Shane Taylor comes out, uh, with his entourage and they compare him to Floyd Mayweather Jr. Uh, and they're pushing him now that he's, he's without a contract with ROH and he's got to be negotiated, uh, to defend the title. So they're trying to make him kind of like, very much like a Mayweather or an MVP like character that here is this franchise attraction that ROH has to spend big money to get onto their pay-per-views. Um, how did you think? Because they can't get the belt off him. Uh, yeah, yeah. They're right. they're, they're going to have to send a shooter after him to, to try and get the belt <laughs> off of him. The, they can do this the easy way or the hard way. I'm pretty sure some of these guys in his entourage were the same entourage that Kenny King came out with. Well, again, it's, uh, you know, they're not loyal to one specific, they go to the highest bidder and maybe w- within the, the night, Shane Taylor just upped the price and he, he bought so it the entourage. Carry my belt and let's go. I, I did, I did like the attention to detail, like shooting him, coming out from the back, trying to make this guy give him his own entrance, do something with him. Sure. I like Shane Taylor a lot. He's improved rapidly. I, I think yeah. that, um, 
was it the Jeff Cobb match that that you and I really raved about earlier this year that they had on yep. the pay per view? Yep. Like he's had, you know, he's he's lost weight uh, because he was really big at one point. He's he's still he's still big. He's still a big guy, but he's like it's it's a more serviceable weight for his kind of style and you know he's he's working like really well now so um they they've got something with this guy um so the surprise is dragon lee who comes out the announcers are all shocked because tonight is cmll's anniversary show where is dragon lee and so the story on dragon lee is that cmll since he worked bola last weekend which included triple a guys on it apparently uh uh lucha blog reported that you know, the CMLL is not booking him at the moment, and it seems like they were upset that he worked <laughs> Bola. So here he was tonight on the anniversary show. So, uh, or not on the anniversary show, but rather on the ROH card. So they got Dragon Lee. And, you know, with, with all the discussion about the ROH and New Japan relationship, um, who knows what's going on with the ROH CMLL relationship because they just did those combined shows together, but you would imagine that. CMLL isn't using this guy, and ROH is using it as a chance. Okay, we'll book him. Just very, very strange. Uh, all this but going on. They book him. They book him, and they don't make any money off him, right? I love this. I do not understand. Like Dragon not, not Lee, announcing this ahead of time. Not announcing ahead of time. Even storyline wise, like all of a sudden, as everyone is entering the ring. Oh, by the way, it's a four way instead of a three way. Like everyone else should be like, fuck this. I'm not, I'm not having this match. Screw that. This guy's not in. How the hell do we get in? This is Shane like, Taylor's out. Like I did not negotiate for this. Yeah. For the guy who's supposed to be like negotiating all this stuff, he should have walked away with the title. I said, no, this isn't what we discussed. Right. That's your kayfabe answer. The business answer is Dragon Lee is a star. Dragon Lee is a fantastic wrestler. And to just throw him as a surprise in a, company that needs to sell tickets and needs to generate interest is a joke this is the angle you do on the pre-show if not announced earlier yeah like if you want people to like buy this pay-per-view here's a reason why we're sticking dragon lee in and he's gonna like take the title off of like shane taylor yeah yeah you you could have done something cool with um, Roosh and Dragon Lee on the pre-show and, um, you know, Roosh announces I'm going for gold, but I'm not the only one going for gold. And boom, Dragon Lee comes out. He signed, uh, you know, Shane Taylor signed an open contract or whatever. And Dragon Lee has, uh, entered the match. I mean, there's, there's millions of ways you could go about doing it. Uh, PJ Black was on commentary. I would say a thousand times better than the last guest commentator. <laughs> um, Dragon Lee was the, uh, he comes out. Um, so did get a pop for coming out. Uh, Williams hit Flip Gordon with this double arm DDT off the top turnbuckle right into a lariat. That was a cool sequence. Lee then hit Williams with a snap German off the ropes and then a deadlift brain buster that Williams kicked out from. Lee and Taylor then exchanged big knee strikes with Dragon Lee sent to the floor. Flip Gordon returns. He's in the ring with Taylor and Gordon was tossed into the corner, raked the eyes of Taylor and then Flip Gordon grabbed the chair. There were way too many usages of chairs uh, up until this point in the show. Williams tries to stop Flip from using the chair, and the referee takes the chair away. So Williams gets sent to the floor by Gordon, and he turns around and gets hit by Taylor's greetings from 216. And Shane Taylor pins Flip Gordon. Dragon Lee had nothing to do with the finish, so it was like he was inserted here, but they didn't want to beat him or even have him associated with the finish. So Dragon Lee – or. Shane Taylor retains in 825 and just like a quick match for one of your 
title matches, I thought. Uh, this was one that I think it could have used some more time because, man, I was like taking my notes and then all of a sudden it was the finish. Like it just seemed um, <laughs> they raced through this and – you were trying to do so much. You had the Dragon Lee introduction. You've got PJ Black on commentary. You're trying to tell the story with Tracy Williams and Flip Gordon that uh, that Williams cost Gordon the match. And then you're doing this face-off afterwards with Shane Taylor and Dragon Lee that it was just an eight-and-a-half-minute match. It was just my head was spinning from all this. Yeah, there was a lot going on, and it didn't exactly gel, I thought. It was just uh, – I just didn't think they had the time and it was just – you know, one guy's in, one guy's out. We got to work four guys into an eight-minute match and it was just um, – yeah, like it was uh, – didn't didn't leave much of a lasting impression on me. This this is where I felt like we were getting the big rush to get to the end of the show and – although the next match will tell a different story because there was a lot of things going on afterwards with that. Yeah. Maybe, that, maybe that's why they had to cut it short. Yeah. Like I, I don't know if maybe like the bouncers match went – super long at 14 and a half minutes that this one kind of got cut but you know um you would have figured this one would have got more time and the tag title match certainly got it's a lot of time so it's the briscoes defending the roh tag titles against bandito and mark haskins so early on mark uh hits a drop kick through the ropes accidentally taking out his brother jay so this is when haskins and bandito take over attacking both guys um they were set up against the guardrails we should also mention that vicky haskins the wife of mark haskins is seated in the front row and they explain that she is not licensed to be in mark's corner so she has bought a ticket to sit in the front row and capri says vegas is a great place to bring your family yeah, and score front row tickets to ROH. Well, I think we could have scored front row tickets if like we, we could have got our butts down there. But well, uh, depends. It uh, depends who you're married to, I guess. Well, we probably could have just bought them off Ticketmaster. But the Briscoes then fought back. They loaded up the ring with chairs, as the announcers noted. This is not a no disqualification match. Just for the record. Um, they took control of Bandito as they're inside the ring. Haskins gets tagged in after Bandito makes it to the corner, and Haskins fires up. He hit this DDT flatliner combo to the Briscoes. Then we get a double submission as Haskins applies a crossface into a Rings of Saturn while Bandito ties up Jay's legs while uh, applying a Fujiwara armbar. And then Haskins hits a Falcon Arrow onto Mark, setting up the Frog Splash for Bandito. But Bandito wasn't the legal man, so he couldn't capitalize and cover him. The Briscoes then take back control. Um, they take out Bandito with a reverse neck breaker. Uh, but then Bandito hits this pop-up cutter. All four men are down. Then Bandito goes for a backslide onto Jay. And with Jay's legs like flailing, Haskins takes the legs to apply a sharpshooter while Bandito hits Mark with the 21-plex. Like some of the double-team offense from Bandito and Haskins was really creative stuff that they had planned out here. Um, yeah. The, the Briscoes, while they're in these like double like submission and one being covered, they like grabbed each other to break each other free. Uh, Bandito hit a superplex. Haskins then hit Mark with a double foot stomp, but Jay made the save. And then we get into the final ending here where Jay hit the Jay Driller and Mark Haskins kicks out. And man, this crowd did not react to the Jay Driller kick out like I thought it would. Like that was the big spot of the match. And it just felt like, ah, they were okay. Match continues. It, didn't get a big pop at all. Didn't it happen last pay per view where somebody kicked? I the think Jay so. Too? Like I, I think they have like gone to the well a bit more. Like the J Driller used to be 
Like no one kicked out of this thing. So I still look at it as a big kick out, but you're right. Like they have been going to that a few times now. So Mark then takes out Bandito with Froggy Bow. Jay hits a second Jay Driller, and this time Mark Haskins stays down. 20 minutes, 16 seconds. Briscoe's retained the tag titles. Uh, I, I thought this was one of the uh, – I, I would go so far as to say this might have been the best match on the show. Really? Oh. Uh, oh, we did not agree on this. I, I really enjoyed this. We did not agree this. on that one. I like okay. this. I mean, it was fine. Um, I felt – uh, after watching the ladder match with G.O.D. with and the Briscoes, like uh, what month and a half ago, this this was a little short. I thought. Oh, this was not uh, at the level of that ladder. That ladder match was was insane in that August show. I'm I'm stunned at the level of quality that show had. That no one was talking about that show afterwards. <laughs> like honestly, it was a really great show in Toronto. That was that was a really good show, right? I, w- I was stunned at like the lack of buzz that show had coming out of it. And because if, if you I if you watched if you put, it, it was it was a really great card. If you put that show on tonight, yeah, I think it was. I I, it would, I think we'd have a different reaction about some stuff for sure. Yeah, um, yeah. Comparing the two tag matches, definitely, I. Give the nod to the August show for sure. But, um, you know, I, I got into Bandito and Haskins. I like these two as a team. Um, I did hear from someone after the show that it sounds like Bandito is working with some kind of an injury and he may not be working the TV tapings on Saturday. So I don't know okay. the extent of the injury, uh, but apparently he was dealing with that, uh, during this match, although it was hard to tell. Um, I mean, Haskins was in it a lot. I think much more so than, uh, Bandito was, no? Yeah, I mean, Bandito, like, he was relied on to, to sell for a bit, but then ultimately it was Haskins doing the big, like, comeback spots uh, as well in this. But um, I, I enjoy Haskins and Bandito as a, as a team with lifeblood, and the Briscoes retain, and I guess it's, it's it's largely just finding opponents for the Briscoes. Like, I, I'm i not so much down on the tag division in ROH. I just look at the Briscoes, and it just feels like there's so much happening Uh outside of ROH that you wonder like what the Briscoes would be like in a different environment just to see them somewhere else because it just feels they've done everything they could possibly do in this company as a tag team and it just feels um you know they'll always be a solid act in this promotion but um you've kind of run the gamut with like teams to to pair with these guys yeah I think you're you're not wrong and you know those guys have given everything they possibly could to ring of honor right and i think jay is champion as roh champion was a good run as well um it would be pretty interesting if they showed up on a wednesday night somewhere then pretty damn interesting i think oh i (laughs) I just think seeing the briscoes outside of roh at this point like you have a whole generation where it's like unless you were watching them on independence pre ROH, like you haven't really seen these guys venture anywhere. I mean, other than like one offs for like new Japan every now and then, but yeah, to see them in just a different environment. And you look at that AEW tag division, like the Briscoes having fresh matches with all those teams. I mean, or, you know, revisiting some feuds that they had in the past, but under, you know, a new coat of paint for them, I think would go a long way because uh, the Briscoes, I, I don't think get all of that focus as one of the, the top tag teams and they they're consistent year in and year out. And I think people just kind of get used to them um, in kind of this, this pattern and they're not in the central spotlight in ROH. I mean, they have been one of the top tag teams in, in the business for over 10 years, right? Definitely. Yep. And 
I think if they showed up on AEW, even if it's like, you know, year two of that company, you know, it would, it would freshen up all that whole division as well. Right. Yeah. You just have such a long list. Like that tag division already is, is really stacked when you look at it. But, you know, for, for a company like ROH, I mean, those are going to be questions. All these guys and women, when their deals come up, it's, they're all going to have to sit down and ask themselves, like, what, what am I looking for in my career? And, and what is ROH willing to spend to keep all of these guys? Uh, it sounds like Matt Taven is looking at a really lucrative offer on the table. Um, so it looks like if ROH does want to keep people, it seems like they will, they will spend when necessary. Um, but is that going to be the case for all of these potential free agents when they, they come for gra- they're up for grabs because there's going to be such a high demand for anyone that's got any kind of uh, value attached to them. And I think it's also not just the money, but it's also like, where do you want to work? Do you want to work in front of like 500 people? Yeah. Or do you want to work in front of like, you know, 10,000 people? And of that, that spotlight, is it only going to, over the next year, is so much of it going to be concentrated on just WWE, AEW, that everything else is just going to get that much smaller in comparison because everyone's going to be getting their fill most weeks from all of the hours that an ROH, an Impact, an MLW, they're fighting for that for, to be that alternative when there's there's so much product out there. It's that's a tough spot to be in. Yeah, agreed. Then we got an angle after the match. Bully Ray returned. <laughs> he comes down. He attacked Bandito with a power bomb. Then delivers one to Haskins and. He grabbed his chain as Tracy Williams then fought him off and Bully is like cowering in the corner from Tracy. when Who's like a quarter of his size. Yes. Flip Gordon then runs into the ring from behind and he nails Tracy Williams with a kendo stick and he just shares a look with Bully Ray who had been his big uh, opponent throughout 2018. They had that long drawn out feud and kind of teasing like some – uh, alliance here between these two. Flip Gordon leaves and then Bully goes to the floor. He throws Tracy Williams into the guardrail and then he grabs Mark Haskins as Vicky is screaming at Bully Ray and Bully Ray walks up holding Haskins and gets into Vicky's face and says, yeah, what are you going to do it? And with the best line says, you're just a female woman. Are you sure he didn't say feeble? I thought he said female woman, but I can give him the benefit of the doubt that maybe he he meant to say feeble, and maybe I hopefully it was feeble. Otherwise, you're just repeating the you know. Uh, <laughs> it sounded like female woman, which sounds way more hilarious. But it could have been feeble woman. So feeble's not so great either. But uh, I got I don't know. This this did nothing for me. It doesn't make any sense. I question why Flip even turned and joined a villain enterprises to begin with after that whole run against Billy or Billy Ray. And, uh, I was lost. Yeah. I, so he power bombs Mark Haskins through a table and then he had security remove Vicky for striking him, which I did find that part amusing, getting security to remove Vicky for the slap. Um, and yeah, it just seems like the whole feud was, for a year to get Flip Gordon into like this big baby face role going over bully. Yeah. And now several months later, it's like, okay, now we're turning him, and he's fourth banana on this team. Right. Yep. And yeah, I, I, the angle didn't get over that 
that big. And usually when Bully does these angles, they do get heat. This one just didn't seem to be, um, I don't know. It just didn't seem like it was all that, that heated of an angle afterwards. This one also, it also felt like this was a little bit of wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Remember that guy who like, we should have had the security taken out because he was misbehaving at the ring of honor show. That's instead of bringing I him backstage. Yep. I was like, really, are we, are we really doing this? Like for whatever percentage of your audience actually knows about that is, and is actually paid to watch this pay-per-view. Like well, why the fact you thought that then it tells me that I wasn't overthinking it because that definitely crossed my mind as well. If that was like a playoff of that scenario. Uh, yeah. So anyway, that's <laughs> looks to be something with bully Ray together with flip, maybe against Tracy Williams and Mark Haskins and multiple combinations of that coming out of this is where it seems to be going. And then the main event was Matt Taven and Roosh for the ROH title. And we've got Dragon Lee, his brother, and Bestia Del Ring, his father, seated ringside, along with his son. So we had three generations here on hand. And this was this I don't know, it wasn't a tip off to me that we were getting the title change, but I, I <laughs> really I really did not believe we were getting this title change. I thought, you know, Everyone wants to see this title off Matt Taven, and I just thought, like, they're going to – well, you know what? With his – who knows what his contract situation is? Like, it's – reportedly, it's up very, very soon, and and who knows what the status of that is. So maybe this was more than anything a contingency plan. But anyway, we can talk about that after the match. Let's get into this first. It starts off with Taven taking a belly-to-belly into the corner. And do you Wait, do, just for a second. Yep. Do you want to talk about the beginning of this first, the entrance? Sure. What did you uh, – Because I, I, I had a real problem with this. So they okay. talk about how this match is three years in the making. Because as you remember, Matt Taven used to have quite the head of hair. Yes. And he lost it against – Roosh. Against Roosh. Do we have any footage of this before leading into this title match? No. Do we show anything? No. We barely kind of talk about it. And then... Well, maybe when they booked Dragon Lee, they lost the uh, the footage from CML. Yeah, that, that, that makes a good point, but, actually. Oh, but, sorry. Something just got deleted off our uh, off our Dropbox. I'm sorry. Uh, we're in the middle I, of our anniversary show. We can't upload anything tonight. Yeah, I, th- I thought that was pretty stupid that they didn't have... Yeah, you're right. Pack. You know, they... Uh, that that would have been helpful to tell that story and have yes. that, that, that like that's a visual angle losing the hair that they to- sure. totally should have played up. Yep, and it was on a huge show, like literally. It was the, it was the anniversary show from. Yeah, it was last year's anniversary show, wasn't it? Uh, might have been the year before. Okay, um, and then they had these three guys come out when when Taven comes out. Three, I'm going to say, local workers, which are supposed to look like the evolution of Matt Taven over the years when he was in Ring of Honor, but then they just quickly glossed over it. Oh, I don't know who thought this idea up for this this entrance, but man, talk about overthinking it. Yeah, and kind of, yeah, that it, it was like way too similar a concept to what we just saw with, with Chris Jericho on that uh, at Double or Nothing. Remember where they had the different versions of Jericho yeah. that they had stand-ins for. Uh, stands for you. Yeah. Let's do it with like what uh, AEW did, but with like a fraction of the, of the uh, budget. It's like the standard is like when you're going to do these special entrances, they got to be pretty like high production values. You know what I mean? Like, or yeah. they have to come off as major league and not just okay. Here are some extras and come off like a low rent version of you know your your WrestleMania special entrances, your Wrestle Kingdoms, your anniversary shows. It's like you know the the big leagues when they do the special entrances, like it's a production. You know what I mean? Yeah. So and they practice it. Yes. So, um, you know, 
The great thing about that Roosh Dalton Castle finish from MSG is that Roosh can tease that bull's horns at the start yeah. of any match, and yeah. every time the audience is going to bite and believe it's the finish. I thought it was going to be like a 45 second squash. Well, they teased it, and Taven got to the floor, and it did get heat. Like the crowd just wanted to see this end. So I don't know if you take that as a positive or a negative, but um, <laughs> Taven uh, takes over <laughs> after he lifts up Roosh. And sets him up for a falcon arrow on ah. the edge of the apron and just dumps him just straight to the him. floor. And that looked like it sucked. Yeah. Oh. I, that was another rewind one. I was like, what the hell did I just see? Like, what? what, what no, nope, that's what he meant to do. Yeah. Um, Taven is in control. Uh, he eventually gets hit with a snap German, returns to the floor. And, you know, Taven's just playing like the... The chicken shit heel that's just like trying to get in all of his offense and then, you know, cower away. Roosh gets uh, – he separates the guardrails and he lifted up Taven and like suplexed him onto one of the guardrails and then lifted up the guardrail itself and ran it into Taven. Then they ran over to the announcer's area and Roosh suplexed him onto the timekeeper's table. Like Taven is just bumping all over the place for this guy, just taking all of these suplexes, going through these tables. Roosh then teases the bull's horns again, and he holds up just to kick him in the face and then do the tranquilo pose. Yeah. Roosh then hits a missile drop kick off the apron to the floor, which Coleman calls a hydraulic drop kick. (laughs) That was a a good one for Coleman. Yeah, he's like a regular Joey Styles here with the the naming conventions. Uh, Taven then cuts him off in the ring, hits the climax, and Roosh kicks out. And the announcers did a great job of saying how that move has beaten Jeff Cobb, it's beaten PCO, but Roosh survived the climax. And the way that... You know, some of these matches are set up. It's like, you know, like with the J Driller earlier with Haskins, it's like, okay, you're going to get the kick out and that's what you're getting when you are ultimately losing the match. But in this case, they gave him the kick out for the climax and he was going over. So they kind of uh played with you there. So Roosh attacks him in the corner and then he sets up Taven on the top of the turnbuckle and rams him into the post. Um, this is after Roosh avoided another climax and Taven is put into the tree of woe. He gets hit with the running drop kick and then with Taven seated in the corner, hits the bull's horns and Roosh wins 16 minutes, four seconds. He wins the title. Roosh's family then enters the ring. He's got his son putting, making the fist, which was awesome. And then Matt Taven storms into the ring and you think it's going to be an attack, but instead he offers his hand to Roosh. They shake hands and Matt Taven walks off and Kerry Silken presents the title to Roosh. We go off the air and we got a new champion with Roosh. Yep. And like I said, I think it was for uh, earlier on. Happy birthday, WH. Matt Taven is no longer your Ring of Honor champion. That's it. What'd you think? Um, What'd you think of the show? You know what? I thought I thought it was a good show. I didn't think this was like uh, a thumbs up, overwhelmingly great show. But I was coming into this show with, like, I was more or less watching this show to see what what is ROH offering in September of 2019. And I'll say I was pleasantly surprised by the show. I I thought the main event was good, but Again, it goes to our like kind of level right now. Like, is a is a good main event good enough anymore? Um, I, I found it to be largely a pretty easy show to get through and watch. I really enjoyed the tag match with with the Briscoes against Haskins and Bandito. I really loved uh, Lethal and Gresham. Um, 
yeah, I, th- I thought this was like a thumbs in the middle show, maybe even leaning up, but that's because I had very low expectations going into this show, like almost non-existent expectations to be quite honest. So in that sense, um, I guess, I guess I was more, I was more into the show maybe than you were. So coming out of it, what do you, what's next for you? What do you want to see? So I guess Taven is a question mark right now. And in theory, I mean, he's not even like, ultimately you can do something like if he resigns, you can do whatever with him, but he's not figured into this tournament. So I guess you're kind of going with Roosh with like either Bandito or like him and PCO just seems like a weird mix. Like I don't, I don't think that really works as your final battle main event. Um, like you don't have yeah, like it's the it's the tournament largely, and the idea it's like okay, you have a new champion. So does this uh, kind of galvanize an audience and kind of okay, David's no longer champion. Is that going to draw interest back? I don't know. I don't know if this show kind of had that feel where by the end of it, um, you're going and telling all these people to go check out ROH. I don't think this show had that kind of impact. Which uh, sometimes you can change change course and it's it's got that kind of buzz i don't know if this is going to generate that i don't know if people really see roosh as like a a quote-unquote roh guy though i mean he still feels like a cmll guy that's you know kind of comes in and does some matches once in a while um yeah and maybe not the worst thing right now to not have that uh, i'm serious like to to be kind of outside or be not be affiliated as a franchise ROH guy. Uh, maybe it's not the worst thing for ROH right now, as I think they're still very much seeking to kind of outline what is our identity in 2019, 2020, and beyond. Like, what is our promotion going to be that is distinct from other companies that are also asking for your time every month? I mean, I think you got to expect Squirrel to leave. I think if Gordon's contract comes up, he's probably going to leave. I think those are all reasonable expectations that you yeah. have to be looking at. I mean, there's the questions. Uh, Joe Koff addressed the, um, he did an interview with Newsweek this week talking about the, uh, the New Japan relationship. And, uh, I've got the quote here. He just talks about that, um, you know, New Japan wants a stake in America as well and not be associated with it, uh, which is why you're seeing New Japan touring independently. I don't blame them. It's a business and that's their business. And he kind of just couched it like, you know, we're open to working with each other. You might see some stuff, but, you know, they're ultimately they're trying to do their own thing now, too. So it's kind of this this weird time for ROH. Um, and, that you know, then. Next couple of months, I think you're going to see based on how aggressive they are trying to retain some of this talent. And are you, what are your goals if you're a Marty Skrull? If you get a phenomenal offer from ROH, are you financially driven to stay here? Or is ultimately you realizing if I want to be a player in this industry in 2020, it's, it's one or the other. It's either going to WWE, AEW, or conversely, New Japan. I mean, I, you have to think that there's, there's a home for him at AEW and that they're, they're waiting for him no i mean that to me if i was just purely guessing sure absolutely like i i would think that that would be the landing spot for this guy um as he's you know you're you're seeing all this happening and you you got to feel like you're somewhat on the sidelines and even in roh this year it's not as though this guy has been pushed as one of your number one guys either it's sort of like he's been ah we'll go with him to a certain extent knowing his deal is going to be up at some point, and I think there's that hesitancy, and it's been like that all year. 
And I think that's kind of hurt them because I think that's one of the guys that the fans get behind and I, and I still have interest in, right? But uh, they they didn't pull the trigger on him, right? Here's an interesting question I'm going to throw at you. Okay. Go back a, a year and a half or so, okay? And yeah. Cody and the Bucks go to Joe Coff because they need his approval for this. And they yeah. ask him, they say, we want to do this show <laughs> called All In. If you're Joe Coff, is your answer yes, knowing what happens afterwards? Or do you say no at that point, knowing that their deals are due at the end of the year? You're trying to keep these guys happy. Um, what's, what's your answer? And how ROH approached that show? Because I think that's a very interesting show to go back and look at of how ROH handled that whole thing. Yeah. And then when they, you know, they had that platform after that of Madison Square Gardens, which was sold really, I think, on like the elite being there and they weren't there. They had a total chance of like, you know, the wrestling world tuning into this show and they shit the bed on their half of it. Yeah, it's just it's an interesting one to look back on that. Like, I, I think Joe Coff was strategic in allowing those guys to go ahead with with all in, because I think if you tell those guys no, 100 percent, you're losing them at the end of the year. But by saying yes, I think ROH did make a mistake by not um, by not jumping over that show more and kind of associating your brand with that with that success. Um, if you're ROH, I, th- I think that you should have been selfish in that sense, because you know, ultimately you had to sign off on those guys to be able to do that show. But that's not a show I think people associate with, you know, ROH people helping working on that show behind the scenes. It's and that was the springboard for. Like if there was any doubt in their mind that we could break off and start our own company, I think that show was the – that was your evidence of it. And it's it's an interesting theory that had they not been able to produce that show, do they have that same confidence or are they getting a huge offer from WWE and going with the sure thing at that point? Because ah, the, just the fear of the unknown, which all in gave them that knowledge that look what we can do. I got a question for you. Do we have Death Before Dishonor 2021? Death Before Dishonor 2021. Okay. If you were going to say 2020, I would say yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I'm not, I would agree too. I, and I'm not so much saying like they not going out of business because I don't think Sinclair, as long as they want to keep this going, they can keep it going. The question I think is, is Sinclair at some point looking to cash out of this? And I can see that as a possibility. I mean, if you start giving guys big deals, right, and all of a sudden the expenses for this this company gets higher and higher because you need to keep talent around, but you're not creating revenues, which was painfully obvious looking at the the ticket sales for tonight, right? Let alone, you know, even the last few times they were in Toronto, where are they making their money? Well, and that's you're you're going to expedite that process because as all these names come due. Like the, like let's let's just throw out like a a baseline. Like two years ago, Matt Taven's contract coming due, whatever he's making at that point, you've got to imagine it's two or three times that now because the at fl- least the floor has been raised. Yeah, I may be conservative in that estimate. So, and you're looking at all these guys. Like when a Jay Lethal comes due, when a Marty Skrull comes due, when a Brody King comes due, PCO. Like for ROH to retain these guys, they're paying like. A lot more to keep them. And you have to be looking at, okay, we're spending now all this money 
are we making it back? And ultimately, are we are we in this fight or are we not in this fight? And you've got to make that decision because you're going to be paying major league money to keep these guys. And are we trying to compete at that level or not? I think that's a fundamental question that from the outside, we don't know the answer to for ROH. I mean, this year, it kind of says like you had a chance going into MSG to position yourself as someone that is willing to be a player in all of this. But since that show, it's been a we're going to go over to the sidelines and just do our own thing. Yeah, they seem they seem really lost, like totally lost. Um, what do you give this show on a scale of uh, one to ten, Mike? Mm, it's gonna pass a grade from you. I think it's a passing grade, uh, uh, an old school passing grade. I'm gonna give it a, a six. Okay, I, I go seven on this show. I mean, it was yeah. uh, not the wor- not the worst show. Like I, again, I thought it was an easy to watch show. Um, of of the matches, I enjoyed the tag match. I enjoyed Lethal Gresham. What was your match of the night? Uh, either Lethal and Gresham or the, the Cobb and Brody King one, I think. But the main event was very good, too. Yeah, I thought that the main event was better than I thought it was going to be. I, I do feel like Taven did a fairly good job in that match. And it was a surprising finish for me, uh, to be honest. Did you did you think we were getting the title switch on this show? Yeah, I did. Okay, well, you've, Sorry. you've got the foresight, Mike. I should have asked you ahead of time. <laughs> All right, well, uh, Mike, you have a, a hockey game at like 4 in the morning or something, so... Uh, the queen of the C block has got practice. She's going to be on the ice at eight o'clock. So we're at one thirty nine Toronto time. Wow. Well, Mike, I appreciate you uh, coming here, joining us, telling all the, uh, the post wrestling listeners, your, your thoughts on death before dishonor. And uh, we'll do this again for final battle. Sounds good. All right. Uh, anything you want to plug Mike, anywhere you want to throw out anything, anything in the world. Anything in the world. Um, I'm, I'm in my kitchen tonight. Like I said, this is the first time that John and I have not sat together and done one of these. Uh, so I had to borrow my buddy Nico's mic. Uh, so hopefully it sounds half decent. It sounds great. Thank you to Nico. And, uh, if you guys get a chance, I'm going to throw Nico's Twitter up on my handle and he does a bunch of podcasts about drinking wine and reading comic books. If, uh, Anyone's in any of those. No, oh, fantastic stuff. Well, final battle. Uh, you're more than welcome to come over. I'm going to hopefully uh, get Mouth to finally come and the, the three of us can watch an ROH pay-per-view because every <laughs> single time we try, someone can't can't do it. But maybe for <laughs> final battle, uh, if I if I give everyone two, uh, three months notice, we, we can do, we can pull it off. I mean, he might fall asleep. He, he could, but he'll be here then to we, we can wake him up and just tell him. Uh, something ridiculous happened that didn't actually happen. <laughs> we'll just, <laughs> but we have to sell it through the whole show. Yeah. That's the thing. Baron Corbin right. just won the ROH title. It was amazing. Totally amazing. All right. Well, thank you to everybody for tuning in. Uh, coming up this weekend, uh, Nate Milton is going to have the Rocky Maivia picture show out on Saturday reviewing Get Smart. And then Way and I are back Monday night with Rewind to Raw. Uh, final question, Mike. What What is on your viewing schedule for next week? What is the priority next week? Uh, try and stay off the internet for spoilers. Okay. And just get around That's to stuff the, when yeah. you can. Get get around to stuff probably. Who Wednesday night's pretty busy, so hopefully Thursday, Friday, I'll have caught up on the AEW. Where is AEW going to be showing in Toronto anyways? To be determined. Seriously? Still to be determined. Still to be determined. So we're not going to have a feed somewhere I, legally. I feel there, w- there will be something. I, I don't think you're going to have – I think that there's going to be something in place, uh, but it's not finalized yet. I mean it makes total sense that it would be on a TSN channel now. 
um, that would be where where you would expect it to be. Um, I mean, they, they've had the talks, and I think it's just a matter of like finalizing uh, the deal. But uh, the last I have heard is that it's it's close, but not done. So we'll see. The fact that they put out the AEW Plus announcement excluding Canada tells me they're pretty confident that there's going to be something uh, for Canada, which I would imagine the worst case scenario is they could put it on like BR Live, you would think, um, because that does extend into Canada. Yeah, but I think, you know, you're you're still hoping people are going to find out where it is and what it is, right? Whereas, you know, I got all these CFL games this weekend you could be advertising uh, AEW on, on TSM. Oh, it's, you know, ideally you would have wanted this announced a month out, two months out to be yeah. able to promote it. But, you know, here we are. It's uh, It's Friday night and nothing is official yet for Canada. With that Kenny Omega documentary that came out, what, six months ago? Was that when it was? Yeah, was that right after through- WrestleMania. Yep. Was that through TSN or somehow? It was, yeah. Yeah, so it's not like they don't have connections, right? So, Well, they've been talking for, you know, it is it is a television industry. So uh, we will see. Maybe maybe some news in the uh, in the near future. But Keep keep it locked on postwrestling.com. Just because news updates. He says it so I don't have to. So thank there you, you to everybody for listening. <laughs> and uh, we'll chat with you later on this weekend. One, two, one, two. All right. Well, the show is not over. Uh, Mike has uh, taken off, uh, but then we had more news coming out. So I want to tack this on at the end. So since we ended the show, first we had a video come out with Roosh and his father, Bestia Del Ring, announcing that they are going independent, i.e. leaving CMLL. Uh, Roosh, of course, under contract to Ring of Honor, so that would not affect his relationship with ROH. But then moments after that, CMLL put out an announcement stating that they were releasing Roosh and Dragon Lee and therefore uh, cutting ties with the two very popular performers. So it is a very chaotic mess uh, coming out of Friday night between uh, Death Before Dishonor and CMLL running their anniversary card on Friday night as well. And what kind of uh, trickle-down effect this is going to have, what kind of ripple effect this is ultimately going to have, where this leaves the state of ROH and CMLL and their working relationship. Lots of questions coming out of this. Uh, we'll have the latest uh, on Saturday this weekend uh, with more news probably coming out as well and more context to this. But that is the news. Uh, we also did get the following piece of feedback. So I want to get to that and then we will sign off. Uh, from the forum, I really enjoyed this event and found that they really did a good job of involving everybody on their roster. The only talk I see about the company online has to do with making jokes about poor ticket sales, booking decisions with guys almost out of contract, and their inability to create a buzz. Nothing false about any of those topics, but I've still remained a fan because though all the roster throughout all the roster turnover questionable decisions and their inability to market the company the in-ring action has always been really good tonight was a perfect example of that sure they used a ton of plunder and had quite a bit of interference but in most cases it elevated the match like the bouncers versus silas and the barroom brawl uh they also had some good surprises like dragon lee being the fourth opponent and maria manic making the save gresham and lethal might have been the best match of the night but i have to give it 
up to the main event. They worked a very fast pace and they really laid into one another with some sick shots. Great action and nice to see the title change at the end. I'd love to think that they could rebound from their slump. I mean, they have some fantastic wrestlers on this roster, but until this company learns how to really get their content seen, I can't see it happening in the packed landscape. Why not release the main event for free on YouTube this Monday? I'm not going to feel ripped off. I paid the Honor Club VIP six months ago. Money is long gone. So what if 60,000 people see it for free? I want this to get passed around and pick up some steam. Taven gets a bad break for being boring, but I've considered him to be like the Miz. Much better in the ring than him, but slightly below Miz on the mic. Both are cocky pricks in character. I feel I'm on an island when I say I enjoy ROH, and I'll be tuning in tomorrow night on Fight for their follow-up TV taping streamed show. Thanks for the review and the form to get this out there. All right, well, thanks very much. And, you know, a lot of the points that you can look at that, you know, some very talented guys that they do have. So thank you very much for your feedback, and that's going to wrap things up. We'll be back Monday night with Rewind to Raw, and keep it tuned to postwrestling.com all weekend long for all the latest news.